I want to begin by asking a question. Why are they here? Simeon and Anna. I'll mention again later, they're nobody. They're just people. And yet, they are part of the canon of Scripture. They are part of the inspired Word of God for us to always remember. So what is it about them that we are to note? What is it that we are to take away from them being here? And, you know, there's not much said. So why are they here? What should we learn? I think it's this. So I'm going to tell you what the sermon is all about. This is the message this morning. They are examples of abiding faith. Let me say a little more about that. Abiding faith. They have the confident expectation that God will perform His promises. That's the kind of faith they have. It's an abiding, enduring, patient faith. Confidently expecting God to perform His promises. That's the message. That's the reason they're here. And so if you get nothing else this morning, just remember, Simeon and Anna are examples of abiding faith, confidently expecting the Lord to perform all of his promises. That's what they're doing. That's what we see here. But it's in a story. It's a narrative. So let's just quickly go through some of the details of the narrative. Why, you know, it's not just about Simeon and Anna. There are three other important people, Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. They're in this story as well. They have a divine appointment. Those three have a divine appointment. They need to, as it were, bump into Simon or Simeon in the temple. It's already been ordained. It's an appointment made by God. That's why they're going to Jerusalem, and that's why he's in Jerusalem, so they can meet each other. But it's in a story, so why are Joseph, Mary, and Jesus going to Jerusalem? Well, the text tells us for two reasons. They're going there for both purification and presentation. According to the law, the Mosaic law, when a woman gives birth, has to do with blood and the afterbirth, but she's considered unclean. So she's unclean. According to the law, if a, a little girl is born, that purification, the length of purification is 80 days. And then after 80 days, you have to go to the temple. For a boy, it's 40 days. And so, little Jesus is a boy. And so, after 40 days, they have to go to Jerusalem and the temple for purification and presentation. And when it was a firstborn boy, right, the first male child from the womb of the woman, it's a, a special occasion. But they're going there to purify 
Mary at the very least. The text uses the word there, um, their purification. Now, some seem to think that had to do with the fact that Joseph was unpure because he had touched Mary, had contact with her, and he would need purification. But at the very least, it's for Mary's purification. Now, if the child was from the tribe of Levi, that was a special occasion, wasn't it? So they would go and make a presentation of the child to the Lord in the temple. If they were of the tribe of Levi, then the, the little child would be um, presented to the Lord for a lifetime of service in the temple. That was the role of the Levite, wasn't it? And so they would go, a little baby dedication, baby presentation. Here's our child, Lord. You know, he's a Levite. We present him to you to be used in your service in the temple. But they weren't from the tribe of Levi. They were from the tribe of Judah. But they still had to make a presentation of the child to the Lord. But instead of offering him up as a Levite for service to the Lord, it was committing the child to the service, to, to set him apart, sanctify him unto the Lord. And because they weren't Levites, they were required to pay a five shekel fee. That was kind of, you know, the cost uh, to exempt the child. They still had to make a presentation and it was costly, but they could pay a five shekel fee and um, that was given to the Lord. So this is why they're there. They're there for purification, the text tells us, but it also mentions presentation. They're there to present Jesus. As is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy, sanctified, separated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So that's the sacrifice that they would have offered. The Lord was gracious. Not everyone could afford a lamb, but everyone could at least get a couple of young pigeons. And so being poor, they could offer for sacrifice either two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And so they do so. That's what they're doing. At the very same time that they come into the temple, verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem. You see, they had to be in the temple on a certain day at a certain time to meet a certain man, a man in Jerusalem. whose name was Simeon. Now, we don't know anything else about Simeon than what we learn right here. Some people speculate maybe he was a, a priest. There's no evidence of that. Some think maybe he was a Pharisee. Maybe he was related to one of the, the um, important teachers of Israel. But there's nothing certain about any of those. I, I rather think he was probably just a regular guy. That's why he's here. Because not many wise, not many noble, not many mighty. 
But the Lord uses the foolish things of this life to confound the wise. And that's why I'm inclined to think he's just an ordinary guy. But he's extraordinary in some respects, isn't he? But we don't know anything about him. This is all we know about him. The same thing is going to be true for Anna. This is all we ever hear about Anna. This is all we ever hear about Simeon. Well, what was Simeon like? What distinguishes him? And so there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Let's just stop there. He's righteous and devout. Some uh, versions say that he was just and devout. Righteousness or just have the same idea. And just, I'm just going to speak broadly, paint with a, a big brush here. But it probably says that he was, he was righteous or just in his relations to both man and God. Faithful in his relationship to men and faithful in his relationship to God. He's just. He's a righteous man. But he's also devout. It's interesting that that word, um, you know, if you just do a simple, you know, uh, concordance search of this word and look it up, uh, the basic meaning is careful. A devout person is careful. He's careful. He's deliberate. He's intentional in his relationships to both God and man. He's careful about these things. He cares about these things. So, all of his life, as far as we know, he has been living a life of righteousness and devotion to God. And he's careful about it. Now, that distinguishes him, doesn't it? He's worthy of our attention. If for no other reason than that. He's a righteous and devout person. Now, in the ESV, as we read through the, the text this morning, the next word is maybe the most important word, at least in this message. Here's what he's doing. He's waiting. He's waiting. He's being patient. He's waiting for something. Waiting, waiting, waiting. For what? For the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. The word consolation here basically means comfort. He's waiting for the comfort of Israel. Now, why? Why is he waiting, waiting, waiting? Why is his faith enduring? Why, you know, why is he persevering? He's waiting for the consolation of Israel because God promised that he would send the comforter. Let me just remind you of a, a couple of passages from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. And if you turn to chapter 66, verse 13, or if you're just taking notes, you can write 66, verse 13. 
As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. Simeon knows that. Simeon knows that promise. And so for all of these years, right? He doesn't give up. He's waiting and waiting, faithfully fulfilling all of his duties to both man and God and careful about it as he waits for the Comforter to come. The Comforter, who we know is Jesus. God promised to send a Comforter to comfort his people. That's what he's waiting for. And that's where we meet him, right? We're just meeting him right here. Here's this man. He's in Jerusalem, just this certain man, living a, a righteous and devout life, full of devotion and careful about his devotion to the Lord. And he's waiting and waiting and waiting without giving up. Let's continue to read. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And we'll stop there. He's being led by the Holy Spirit. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the saints was different in the Old Testament than it is in the New Testament era. But there are a couple of things that are the same. In the Old Testament, how did people come to faith in Yahweh? Through the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had to, enact on, had to act on them, had to enliven, had to awaken them so that they might believe in Yahweh. And then the Holy Spirit would come upon individuals for service. A little bit different. But here we get an indication of this. He's an Old Testament saint. And the Holy Spirit is upon him. Now, some suggest, and it may be true, that the language here suggests that the Holy Spirit has been abiding in him. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before seeing the Lord's Christ. How did this happen? We don't know. Doesn't say, does it? All we know are the bare facts. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before seeing the Lord's Christ before seeing the Sovereign Master's Christ, Messiah, the Anointed One. And so he's waiting. Why? He believes God. The Holy Spirit revealed this to him. The Comforter is coming, and I will see the Comforter. I will see the Lord's Christ. And that he would not see death. Now, you know, we don't want to read too much into it. But can you just imagine? After all these years. I mean, this, these promises go way back, don't they? Hundreds of years. 
And all of a sudden, the Spirit tells them, he's going to see the Christ. He's going to see Yahweh's Christ, Messiah. I just can't imagine what, what that must have done to him. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. Now, we already know the front half of the story. Joseph and Mary and Jesus are on the way to the temple. And if we just give a natural reading to it, it would appear that as they come into the temple, Simeon is coming into the temple, and he sees them. Verse 27, he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, which we talked about earlier, he took him up in his arms. They, they had this divine appointment, this divine meeting, prearranged by God. They walk in. He's there. He immediately senses who this is. Now, that's all we're told. We don't need to be, know anything else. He immediately knows that this is the Lord's Christ. He took him up in his arms. I wonder what Mary thought of that, <laughs> right? Now, remember, uh, this purification and presentation had to take place on the 40th day, which means Jesus is 40 days old. And probably, can't say definitively, but probably being held by his mother. And this unknown guy, right? They had never met. Simeon walks up and takes the baby from her arms. Now, perhaps, you know, the angel had spoken to Mary and told her some wonderful things that were going to happen. And she'd been thinking about those things. So maybe she wasn't startled. Maybe she was wondering, how is all of this going to play out? Because Joseph and Mary were people of faith as well. They believed God. They trusted God. And so they, they walk into the temple. There's Simeon. He took him, Jesus, up in his arms and blessed God. To bless God is to praise God, glorify God, worship God, give thanks to God. He's blessing God. And said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Well, we were told just a verse or two ago that the Spirit had told him he wasn't going to die until he saw the Christ. And now he says, take me home. Take me, Lord. I've fulfilled my purpose. This is what I have been waiting and waiting and waiting for. To see the Christ child. I'm ready to go. Let your servant depart in peace according to your word as 
the Lord had promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people Israel. He sees and understands that this, this is God's salvation. Not just for Jews, but for all people. For Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, most of the Jews alive at that time, you know, they didn't believe this. They were expecting a, a king, someone to come and establish a throne, set upon the throne of David, and together they would reign with Christ. And it was all about being a Jew. That's why Christ was coming. But Simeon understands, probably, no doubt from the Holy Spirit, but he understood some Old Testament prophecies. Salvation, which the Lord had prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. You know, the Gentiles could be described, you know, over the many centuries as people without light. They were in darkness because the things of God were withheld from them. The things of God were for the Israelites. Now, there was a way to convert to Judaism, but in general, we would say the Gentiles were just pagan people. They were in darkness. And so, this salvation, the Christ child, was a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. He was to be the glory of God. And that's what the Israels looked for, for all of the glory. And he was both, both light and the glory of God for all peoples. Now, this, of course, ties in with every Christmas sermon, doesn't it? That the little baby who was born in a manger earlier in this chapter, who is now 40 days old, he's being recognized as the Christ, as the Savior of the world, the Savior of all people. Here he is. Verse 33, his father and his mother marveled. Boy, I, I imagine so. They were amazed. They, boy, blew their minds. They marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. He, to bless God and to bless people are two different things. To bless God is to praise, glorify, magnify the Lord. To bless people is to to ask for God's blessings, to ask for God's favor and grace upon a life. And that's what he did, did right here. He asked for God's grace and favor upon their lives. I, I bet <laughs> if this was, the, this was the, the, uh, the consolation of Israel, this is salvation right here. Oh, God bless these people. And he said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall 
and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Uh, Jesus did not come to bring peace to everyone, but to the elect. Many will reject him. Many will spurn him. Many will hate him. Right from the time that Jesus began his earthly ministry, he was hated and they were seeking a way to put him to death and they finally did it, didn't they? And his side was pierced with a sword. And metaphorically, her side would be pierced as well as his mother. It would bring great pain and loss to her. And now we're told about someone else. Verse 36, there was a, a prophetess. I'm not going to try to unravel all of that for you, but let's say she is a woman who declares God's word. She speaks God's truth, God's word. And her name is Anna. She's the daughter of one Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. So she's not a Levite, she's not from the tribe of Judah, she's from the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. Well, how old was she? I wish I knew. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. Now there's a note in the ESV, there's a little number there. And if you look down at the bottom of the page, or a widow for 84 years. Now, in the Greek, it's a little ambivalent. It's not real clear. It could be taken either way. Maybe she's 84 years old. Maybe that's what Luke is saying. Maybe she was a widow for 84 years, which means she's probably around 104, if that's true. I'm inclined to, to think that's probably what Luke was communicating, but I don't know. Either way, she's old, right? She's old. Either she's old or very old, right? But there's no reason to think she can't be 104 years old. Being a widow for 84 years. What's she doing? Verse 37, oh, yeah, and then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. You know, she sounds a lot like Simeon, righteous and devout. Careful about how she lived her life. Now, here's another thing that isn't real clear. 
Luke writes that she did not depart from the temple. Does that mean that she lived in the temple area? Maybe some kind of residency there, maybe just sitting there day and night, every day after day after day. That's possible. It might mean that day and night she went to the temple and then would have returned home. That seems more probable, but we can't say with certainty. But regardless, she spent almost all of her time in the temple, in fasting and prayer. What a devout woman. Committed. She didn't have a husband. Apparently, she didn't have a family. But she had God. And every day, day after day, she went to the temple to worship the Lord in fasting and prayer. Verse 38 tells us, And coming up at that very hour, what very hour? The same hour that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus came to the temple, the same hour that Simeon came to the temple, at that time she came into the temple as well. She was there. How does she know these things? Probably, we're just guessing, but probably witnessed what happened between Simeon and baby Jesus. Or hearing Simeon, what is called Simeon's song, as he you know, gave, gave praise to the Lord. Perhaps she heard that and immediately recognized this is Christ. So coming up, at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. She began praising and giving thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So the consolation of Israel, salvation, redemption, all speaking of Christ, aren't they? And so what does she do? She's been waiting, waiting and waiting for lo these many years. However many years she was a widow, she had been going to the temple, fasting and prayer, waiting. And she spoke to all who were waiting, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So she somehow recognizes that this is the Christ, bursts out in a, a praise and thanks to the Lord, and then begins telling others, hey, he's here. All of you who have been waiting, he's here. You've been waiting for redemption of Jerusalem. You've been waiting for the consolation of Israel. You've been waiting for your salvation. He is here. And she's telling everyone, the good news. And that's where their stories end. Again, we don't know anything about them other than what we've read here. Probably just ordinary people who love the Lord. And their lives are 
100% committed to God. Both Simeon and Anna are models of faith, but not just faith, the kind of faith that holds on to confident expectations. They have confident expectations that God will perform every promise. They believe that. Now, there's a word that we use other than faith. When faith is directed toward the future, and we say that it is confident expectation, that's the word hope. Hope is the confident expectation that God will perform all that he has promised. They're people of hope. Future-oriented hope as they wait, wait, and wait for the coming of God's Christ. That's what they have in common. They're waiting. And they're totally devoted to the Lord while they wait. So in just a couple of minutes, let me make a few applications. And the first is, do you, do we have the faith of Simeon and Anna? Are we confident? Are we certain? Are we full of hope that God will keep every promise he ever made? Are you that kind of person today? Is that how you would describe your faith? Confidently expecting God to perform everything he has promised? And so your faith perseveres. Your faith endures. Your faith waits. And even if the Lord for many years does not fulfill his promise, it doesn't mean that he's not going to. He is going to. Sometimes we just need to wait. Still believing, still trusting the Lord. And that, I mean, that's not even to go into all of the promises that God has made, right? All of the promises that Jesus himself made. Confidently waiting for the fulfillment of everything he promised. And secondly, is yours an active faith? These two did not have a passive faith. They weren't, you know, it wasn't faith in faith for faith itself. They had faith, but they were active. Look at Simeon. He was righteous in all his relationships to man and God and careful about keeping the commandments of God. You know, careful and conscientious and deliberate, intentional about obeying God. He's waiting, but in the meantime, what's he doing? He's working. He's living a life totally dedicated to the Lord. Anna is the same way. She's been waiting below these many years, waiting for their salvation, waiting for their redemption. And year after year, she goes to the temple to fast and pray. 
She's not just sitting back someplace feeling sorry for herself. Oh, Lord, I guess someday you'll take care of me. Someday you'll do this. No. She's confident in the Lord. And she's active. She's not passive. Neither one of them are. Well, is that our faith? We're not waiting for the first coming of the Christ. He already came. We're waiting for the next coming of Christ. When he returns. We're waiting. Are we active in our waiting? Let me remind you real quickly of a couple of passages that, that come to mind in 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes, everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself even as he is pure. Is that your hope? Is it the kind of hope that drives you to live a pure and holy life? In another passage, it's just a few pages from there in Titus. Let me just flip over to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, just like Simeon said. And that grace that has appeared is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age Waiting, there's the word, waiting, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Waiting and zealous for good works. I mean, that's faith. That's trust. That's hope. It's not a passive faith. It's an active faith. Another lesson, a little application. Is yours the kind of faith that is submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life? Simeon submitted himself to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was in dwelling in him. The Holy Spirit was leading him. Well, we are exhorted in the New Testament to walk in the Holy Spirit. We're exhorted to yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're exhorted to not quench the work of the Holy Spirit. And to live out the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Jesus left, right? And he told his disciples, it's good for you that I go away. Why? Because when I go away, I'm going to send another comforter. He was the consolation, the comfort of Israel. But when he leaves, he's going to give them another comforter. The Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit to lead, guide, and direct in our lives, to empower us for obedience and service. Are we careful about that? About being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit? And finally, do we, is ours the kind of faith that is bold for Christ? Both of them were bold. Bold to speak up. I mean, right there in the temple, Simeon takes up the baby, gives praise to God, and almost everyone there, almost everyone there, thinks he's nuts. They don't believe this. They reject the Christ. But right there in the temple, holds him up, praises God, makes his great theological statement of the Christ child. And Anna, as soon as she hears it, she gives thanks to God and begins telling everybody, hey, you've been waiting, he's here. Oh, that we would have that kind of boldness. To speak up, hey, are you looking for salvation? Are you looking for deliverance? Are you looking for comfort and hope in your life? He is here. He came. It's found in Christ. And this is a good time of year to tell people those things, isn't it? And so, Simeon and Anna are role models of enduring faith. A faith that can wait. A patient faith. But it's a faith with a confident expectation that God will perform all that he has promised. May that be our faith today and throughout our lives. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these testimonies of faithfulness and what they say to us. And even the reminder here that the child who was presented at the temple was the long-expected Messiah, the long-expected comforter who came to redeem his people from their sins. And may our hearts be encouraged and may we uh, be exhorted by the faithfulness of these two saints. In your name we pray, amen.